to Ill-Equipped History, where two best friends who are not equipped to talk about history talk about random events that have happened on this earth at some point in history. (laughs) And we try not to be too redundant about it, like just now. I'm Morgan, joined by my beautiful, wonderful co-host, Emily. Hey, (laughs) y'all. Um... Yeah, I really kind of blundered that intro. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. That's okay. I think the beauty of them is that they're all a little different. And some of them are spot on and they're great. And some of them, you can tell we might be a little tired. <laughs> and it's just so weird. Like, I've had a great day today. Like, I had a good day at work. Um, I ordered groceries and Kyle went to go pick them up and I made dinner and I have my tea and I'm here with you and... You know, I feel fine, but I guess my mouth was like, blah. Yeah, that was just too many things that went right. There had to be one thing. Just one. Exactly. How are you doing, Emily? So you got to stay humble. Yes. Oh, I'm, um, I, I don't think I'm functioning right, <laughs> right now. <laughs> we had a whirlwind trip, uh, my husband and I, to Florida this past weekend for a wedding. And we drove down Saturday morning. Without children, which was great. Um, But we drove down Saturday morning. By Saturday afternoon, we were on the beach. And then by... We stayed in a hotel Sunday morning, Sunday early afternoon. We were on the beach again. We went to the wedding that evening. The next morning, we drove back home. And it stayed about 75, 80 while we were in Florida. And when we got home, it was 55. Yeah. So, I've been cold all day. And I've done a lot of laundry. (laughs) And I need a nap. So we're good. Yay. I got some tea. Yay. Tea is so good. I've got a a peach tea. And it smells like like a whole can peaches, a peach pie, peach cobbler, anything. Smells divine. That sounds lovely. I have peppermint tea. Because me and Peppermint are best friends. Peppermint tastes so good. Let's get on with our skit, shall we? The year is 1862 in Beaufort, South Carolina. The American Civil War is in full swing. The CSS planter is docked on the shore. White and enslaved black crew members are completing their duties on the ship. Man, I'm beat. I can't wait to go on shore later and catch some Z's. Maybe grab a few drinks. You said it. Maybe Helga's at the tavern again. She's always fun. Maybe she'll bring our friends this time. Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, Captain. I was wondering if our families could come visit today. I miss my wife. Oh, that's fine. Just don't take too long. And they have to go home tonight before we leave. That's not a problem. Thanks. Later, Roberts and the other crew members' families are on board. While the white crew members are around, they act casual. Then, when he sees the captain and his crew go into the cabin, everyone huddles close. We all know what's at stake here. We have one chance at this. If we fail or we're caught, we lose everything. We're with you. We know, Robert. We're willing to pay the price. We can do it. I believe in you. We've got this. I love each and every one of you. We deserve to be free. And that is why we're escaping tonight. 
Ooh. Ooh, even you just saying it is giving me chills because I know what happens. Ah! Ah! Okay. So, I need to do a big shout out to our listener, Christopher. He sent us an email recommending this story. And it was already on, like, my list of future topics to cover. But I was like, no time like the present, right? So, today, we are covering Robert Smalls. This is the most... American of American heroes, I think, ever. Like, he just embodied what we think of when we talk about the American spirit. He consistently fought for freedom, not only for himself, but the people around him. He was just an amazing person. I'm so excited to be able to talk about him today because, oh my God, his story is so incredible. I have never heard of him, and I'm very eager to learn of him. There is an episode of Drunk History about him, but it only covers a pretty small, a very big part of his story, but only a small part, if that makes sense. Like, it was a very big event, but it was just one thing. Oh, okay. Because he lived a very full life, and I can't wait to tell you about it. So, before we jump into the story, this takes place in the South, pre, during, and post-Civil War. Uh, there will be mentions of the institution of slavery that happened in the United States during that time. I will be using the term enslaved. That was the verbiage that was used a lot in the my sources, so I'm going to be using that. I think it kind of dictates this was something that happened to them versus being an identifier of that person, right. if that makes sense. Um, and I just think it's a little bit more appropriate. But we are going to be talking about people who were enslaved, who fought for freedom. So, ah, okay. Before we get started um, into Robert Smalls' story, again, this takes place in the southeastern United States before, during, and after the Civil War. For those who don't know, because I know we do have international listeners, the U.S. Civil War was between the northern United States and the Southern Confederacy, which had seceded from the United States because they wanted to keep the institution of slavery, which the North wanted to abolish. We will go into more of that later because there are different interpretations, as we know, being born and raised in the South, that persist to this day of what the Civil War was about. And I do want to address that. For now, our story is focused on a man named Robert Smalls, who was an enslaved man, And like I said, one of the most heroic of American heroes I've ever heard of. So his early life, Robert Smalls was born April 5th, 1839 in Beaufort, South Carolina, which is on Port Royal Island, one of several so-called sea islands on the coast of South Carolina. It's about 14 miles northeast of Hilton Head Island and about 70-ish miles southwest from Charleston. And actually, Emily, for you, I have a map um, if you scroll down and it has like a general geography of the the harbor. So Charleston, South Carolina at the time was one of the largest slave ports during the transatlantic slave trade. More than 150,000 enslaved Africans were sent to Charleston during the height of the Civil War. It's it's really crazy. I, uh... Yeah. A lot of a lot of feelings about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Robert's mother's name was uh, Lydia Polite which I think that's a, a nice last name. Um, that's a nice last name. 
I was trying to find out who his father was. I didn't see anything. Allegedly, his father was his enslaver, which I'll go into in a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Robert and his mother, Lydia, um, they lived in the home. um, And they were also part of the low country Gullah culture. Um, And this is also really important to Robert's identity and the community that he grew up in. So just really quick, uh, Gullah culture is spread along the Atlantic coast from North Carolina to Florida. It's a West African-based culture originating from captive Africans going back to the 1500s. And it still exists to present day. It has influences on religion, food, art, just culture in general. And they have their own language called Gullah Geechee. And it's a Creole-type language, and it's a mix of African and English languages. The Gullah are the most preserved African culture in the United States, which I thought was interesting. And in 2006, the region the Gullah live in was named the Gullah Geechee Corridor by Congress. So just a little tidbit about the Gullah culture. That's cool. Yeah. So Smalls and his mother were favored by their enslaver, Henry McKee, who... Again, is allegedly Robert's father. Not sure. Um, I only saw one source that mentioned it. So, oh, okay. But they both worked in his home. Uh, according to Jermaine Fowler, who's the author of the Humanity Archive, Robert's mother requested he work in the docks of the Charleston Harbor when he was 12 years old. So he was sent off to work. Um, he became, he kind of worked around in the harbor for a bit, and then he started, started working on the actual harbor. I think he worked at a hotel Mm -hmm. for a minute, but he was a longshoreman, a rigger, and a sailmaker. And he eventually just got really good at boats in general. Okay. Eventually he became essentially a helmsman, even though that enslaved people were not allowed to have that title. So he was referred to as either a wheelman or a pilot. Let's see. In 1856, when he was 17, he married a woman named Hannah Jones. She was enslaved hotel maid. Uh, she was 22, and she had already had two children, uh, Charlotte and Clara. Wait, how old was he? He was, he was 17, and she was 22. And she was 22. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, their marriage was not officially recognized in South Carolina because they were both enslaved. Oh, Robert's, sad. I know. Robert's first biological daughter was born February 1858. Her name was Elizabeth Lydia Smalls. She lived until 1959. She was born in 1858. She was 101? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Damn. I know. It's crazy. Uh, they, uh, Robert and Hannah also had a son, Robert Jr., but unfortunately he died when he was two in 1863. Oh, bless. Um, and I don't... Th- I think he had one more child later in his life, which I'll get to. Okay, so that's just kind of his early life setting up to this, the big event, which happens really early in his life, which again is not all of his life. It's just one event that happened. But when you, if you know about Robert Smalls, you do know about this, mm-hmm. the Great Escape. So April 12, 1861, the Civil War breaks out in the U.S. In 1861, during the Civil War, Robert was an enslaved crew member or a pilot, or he was a pilot on the, the ship, the planter. So the planter was a sidewheel steamer. It was originally for cargo such as cotton, but when the Civil War began, it was turned into a warship loaded up with cannons, other ammunition. It also became a transport ship for weapons contracted by the Confederate Army. 
1862, it looked like the South was going to win and things were starting to look really dire. And Robert was ready to get himself and his family out of there. So on May 12, 1862, Robert asked the white crew members of the planter if the enslaved members' families could come visit them, which was not unusual. So they were allowed, and Robert told his friends and families the plan to escape that night. Some black crew members pretended to escort the families back home, but they actually dropped them off at a secret location where they would, where they would pick them up later. The white crew members went ashore and left Robert and the other enslaved crew members by themselves. And at 3 a.m., they saw their opportunity and left on board the planter. They stole the ship. They picked up oh, their families. My God. <laughs> Good. Oh. Oh. Yes. Okay. Just, just wait. Um, oh. So they picked up their families and they were on their way to the Union. So, and this was, the, I mean, I'm literally getting chills thinking about it. So. When Robert and the rest of the ship were making their daring escapade, they knew if they were caught, they would be severely punished. Robin Moore, one of Robert's great-great-grandchildren, told NPR, quote, They would have been killed in a very public way to deter other enslaved African Americans from trying such a heist. Wow. So they knew the risk. They knew, like, this was it. And there's some accounts say they had rigged the ship's the ship with explosives in case they were caught before they, were esca- they escaped. So they were like, we are either going to escape or we're going to die trying, but they're not going to kill us. Wow. This was a very desperate escape attempt. So wow. there were God. 16 people on this ship. They were passing <clears throat> through Confederate waters. God. And it's in the middle of the night, too. Yeah, 3 a.m. But Robert was a pilot on a ship. He knew, he had been going all over the Charleston Harbor for about a year. He knew all the correct signals to give to all the Confederates that were on watch. And he even put on the captain's hat and coat and impersonated the captain. Genius. And so all the Confederate soldiers and sailors that were like out and about maintaining the port he gave all the correct signals. He looked like the captain from a distance at 3 a.m. They're like, yeah, come on through. Wow. But it was not over yet because they may have made it past the Confederate troops, but they were on an enemy ship headed straight for the Union. Yeah. A, not just the Union, a Union blockade. So the Union Navy, it's like, it's still dark at this point. They see a Confederate ship coming straight right. for them. And they're like, all hands Panic. on deck. Yeah, we're going to blow the ship out of the water. Yeah, of course. Gosh, I keep getting goosebumps. Like, I'm I literally on see. the edge of my seat right now. Like, <laughs> As the morning sun comes up, they see a white sheet that Robert's wife made out of bedsheets. A flag of surrender. Oh, they're waving the white flag. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> they were seconds from being blown up by the Union ship. And just in time, they saw oh, this Mother big white Nature flag. Oh, Mother Nature was on their side. Yes. Because the sun came up. This is a good example of Mother Nature's not always sinking ships. No, sometimes. Sometimes it's on their side. Yes. When it needs to be. Yes. And they reached the north. They were oh. free. <sighs> yeah. 
Man, okay. My heart was pounding. The story is not finished. Of course it's not. We are just getting started with his story. So he turned over the planter to Union forces. He was 23 years old. Good God. (laughs) At 23 years old, do you know what we were doing? Being stupid. (laughs) Drinking a lot. Like that. Gosh. I was an idiot when I was 23. I definitely cannot have pulled off a heist like this. No. Do you think Smalls decided to rest on his laurels and live the quiet life of a once hero? Absolutely not. He stole a boat. No, <laughs> he did. So, and he was like, when he made it to the, like the union, he was lauded as a hero. There are people writing newspapers about him. They're like, this guy's amazing. He did this incredibly brave act. Yeah. And he was like, put me back out there, coach. He joined the U.S. Navy and continued to fight for freedom. He provided critical intelligence about the goings-on in the Charleston Harbor. Because, again, he worked the Charleston Harbor for a year. He knew all of the intricate pathways. He knew where to go. He knew what the Confederate forces were doing. And he was a pilot in the Navy and helped fight the Confederacy in South Carolina waters. He was the first African-American to command a U.S. Navy vessel. Good for him. Getting it. Yes. Yes. I found I found a newspaper from 1886. Uh-huh. And I was super excited. And so this next kind of big section is the from the newspaper kind of what he was doing while he was fighting in the Civil War. Right. So he became commissioned as a lieutenant second class in what would eventually be the 33rd Regiment United States Colored Troops. That's what they were called. I'm just using the title that they had. <laughs> yeah. Um, in June of 1862, Robert joined the Crusader, the ship, the Crusader. Oh, I forgot to mention this. He started piloting the planter, the ship he stole. They out, they turned around and fought wow. the Confederates with that ship. And they were like, you know what? You stole it fair and square. We're going to let you pilot this, this ship. Is your, this is your ship now. You yeah. earned, you earned this fucking ship. Yep. But he was just a pilot on it. He did not captain it. Um, But he he did steer it. Robert and the planter join the ship, the Crusader, to Simmons Bluff in Wadmodlaw Sound, where the two ships fought against Confederate station there. And this included ships, a battery, infantry, and the Confederates fled. And the planter captured the tents and provisions left behind. So they're like, my stuff now. He was a blockade pilot between Charleston and Beaufort. He would go up and down rivers decommissioning explosives he himself had helped install before he was freed. So they were like mines that he helped lay down if he went back around and decommissioned them. Man, I bet the Union soldiers were so thankful to have him. Oh, yeah. He got like as he got so many honors, which I'll get into later. Um, I mean... It was still very hard for him because even though he was with the Union, he was still a black man and there right. was still like so much racism going on at the time. But for what was allowed him at the time, he was very highly celebrated. Good. On April 7th, 1863, he was piloting the Keokuk. I don't know how to say that. On the attack on Fort Sumter. Um, so he was no, he was not on the planter. He was on the Keokuk. So this is a quote from the newspaper. Quote, in this attack on the Keokuk, it was struck 96 times, 19 passing through her. She retired from the engagement only to sink on the next morning near Lighthouse Inlet. 
General Smalls left her just before she went down and was taken on board the Ironside. This ship was shot 96 times and didn't sink until later. <laughs> Are you sure it's not an emu? Ship just made of emus. <laughs> it's just a bunch of emus standing on top of each other. And Smalls is and just the- like piloting one of them. <laughs> the, the side wheels just a bunch of emus running on top of the water in a circle. It's like, <laughs> like connected by the head, and they're just like this. <laughs> You know what, like, if if Robert Smalls had been captaining a ship made of emus, he would have just become emperor of the earth at this point, like. He should have been. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Oh, man. Because it's like, this man is nuts. Applaud him. Like. <laughs> yeah. Here's the keys to the world. <laughs> yeah, really. So this is another quote from the newspaper. Quote, upon one occasion while the planter, then under control of Captain Nickerson, was sailing through Folly Island Creek, the Confederate batteries opened a very hot fire upon her. Captain Nickerson became demoralized and left the pilot house and secured himself in the coal bunker. Smalls was on the deck and finding out the captain had deserted his post, entered the pilot house, took command of the boat and carried her safely out of the reach of the guns. For this conduct, he was promoted by the order of General Gilmore, commanding the Department of the South to the rank of captain, and was ordered to act as captain of the planter, which was used as a supply boat along the coast until the end of the war. End quote. Listen, Nickerson, one, can kiss my ass. And two, <laughs> he should have been a captain all along. So thank God it finally happened. <laughs> yes, he finally became captain of the planter and remain captain of the planter until the end of the war. Good on you, man. I know. So in 1866, uh, he sold the planter. So I guess it was his boat that they just gave him and he was able to sell it. Um, He stole it fair and square. I know, right? (laughs) And uh, Robert was honorably discharged from the Navy. So there was a small, not small, uh, there was a a hiccup in this, though. So Smalls found out after he had been discharged, he had not been officially commissioned by the Navy. So there was a lot of issues going on with that. He was like, wait, I fought in the Navy. I was a lieutenant second class. And they're like, well, you never really fully were, like, commissioned. So you're a civilian. And he was like, this is bullshit. And everyone else around him was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. So there were several petitions filed by several committees to get this passed. And finally, in 1897, so like 10 years later, no, like 30 years later. Good Lord. Congress, I know, Congress passed a special act that made Smalls eligible for a pension of $30 a month, which was what a commissioned Navy captain would earn as a pension. Good. And that was... a. Little over $1,100 in today's money a month. You know what? It's a little late, but good. Yeah. And it 
like so many people were like he deserves this pension he literally fought he was a troop like he was in the 33rd regiment he's one of the reasons y'all won right and it it made a lot of people very frustrated and you know we've talked about the u.s navy before (laughs) again with the very unpatriotic opinions i have about some things not all just some just a few it just it just seems like the navy doesn't like to give credit where credit is due oh my god eddie lamar um i yeah Hmm. Hmm. anyway okay so the sorry sorry, you had a face no i it's because i uh fell asleep on the beach the other day and um, i burned my back and it's itchy oh i'm so sorry (laughs) it's okay (laughs) i was scratching it with a pin (laughs) (laughs) okay go ahead (laughs) so was that the end of robert smalls no 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 he kept going yes so what is the the rational thing to do after you finish laying down your life for your country in war? Uh, I go on a hike. You go know. into politics. There you go. Okay, go politics. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would do. Go on a hike. Yeah. So, and this is another kind of disclaimer, and Emily, you've mentioned it before. So, in this time. There were Republicans and there were Democrats. However, Republicans were more left, left-wing left liberal. Democrats were more right-wing conservative. There has been a party switch. I'm just letting you know that is a fact. That's history. And There's I'm no sure feelings in that. You're just going to state how it was and not yes. any opinions or anything no. like that. This is not a political podcast. No. No. I mean, we have our opinions for sure, but we're not going to get into the nuances of politics. We're just going to report things like they happened. Exactly. So he went into politics in Mm -hmm. 1864. Actually, during the while the war was going on, he started going into politics and he was a delegate in the Republican National Convention in 1864. So there was one event that happened that really will sound very familiar so in Philadelphia, he was riding in a segregated streetcar and was arrested for not giving up his seat to a white man. That sounds a bit wow. familiar, huh? Wow, yeah. He led a boycott of the transit system that led to its desegregation and integration in 1867. Y'all didn't see that happy dance I just did, but I did. Oh, she was like, like chest bumping. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in 1868, the 14th Amendment was passed, which gave citizenship to all Americans. Thank you. Okay. That same year, he was a delegate in the South Carolina State Convention and helped write a new state constitution because Beautiful. the South had seceded and they were being reintegrated into the Union. Yeah. So they're doing all that kind of stuff, with re- especially with Reconstruction. So Robert Smalls was a very, very strong advocate for public education to be included in the Constitution. He was an advocate for education and worked to make free compulsory public public education available to all children in South Carolina. I love that. Yes. 
He also introduced a civil rights bill that passed the State House of Representatives. He's just... Just, he's on a roll. Just doing the damn thing. He is. He was elected to the State House of Representatives in 1868. He was elected to State Senate in 1872. In 1874, he was elected to the U.S. Congress and served five terms in the House of Representatives between 1875 and 1887. He also, while doing this, he tried to desegregate the U.S. military, but unfortunately that did not go anywhere. So during this time, the first couple decades after the war ended, Reconstruction was going on in the southern United States. And it really kind of means what it sounds like. Like the South was really decimated by the war and it had to be built back up again, essentially. Right. And the first few years after the war ended, black voices were really allowed to take leadership. They, like Robert Smalls did, they were in government positions, both locally within their state and federally. Mm-hmm. But that did not last forever, unfortunately. So... As we get closer to the end of the century, Black voices were getting to be quashed by increasing white Democratic control. But his little town of Beaufort, South Carolina, kept Robert in positions of state and national government. They kept reelecting him, even when even other cities and towns in South Carolina were not doing the same thing. In 1878 and 1880, he was elected to Congress, but was, quote, counted out by tissue ballots according to one of the newspapers I read. So I wasn't sure what that meant, so I looked it up. I looked up what tissue ballots was, and there's two different things I saw, Mm -hmm. but nothing really defined them. So the first thing, I looked up what tissue ballots in the 1800s meant, and I got a lot of results for disenfranchisement of Black voters at the time and the suppression of their votes. Um, And when I looked up tissue ballots in general things were coming up as paper ballots. So I assume it was some kind of voter suppression with the paper votes, which that was all they had at the time. Remember when I said that um, in one of the Battle of Athens episodes that they were using ballots that were so thin you could just hold them up to the light and see who they voted for? I bet they were... I wonder if they were maybe causing some fraud in that way, like suppressing those votes. Potentially. Or like lying or doing yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. That's that's just but, the first thing that popped into my brain. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense. I just couldn't find what specifically that meant. But I yeah. assume it was some kind of voter suppression going on. Again, right. like there is a shift in governing policies there's a shift in the control and power going on and who holds that power and again black voices black voters black leaders are losing their voices because of this shift and i don't go into it but things get very bleak for black americans or like around this time as well Um, So, unfortunately, by 1915, white Democrats had taken over the political climate in the South and enacted several segregation policies. Mm -hmm. Again, like I just said, I'm not going to go too far into it, but one thing I am going to mention is the Lost Cause. This was a really big proponent of this regaining of white power in the South, and I'm going to try... I've written down the tenements or the tenets of... The lost cause and I'm going to try to say them with as little sarcasm in my voice as possible because again I have my opinions about this 
but I, this is pervasive beliefs that are still going on today that I don't personally agree with, but I am going to say what they are. So this, these tenets kind of came up during and after the Civil War ended. Basically, the lost cause means there's six tenets. One, secession was about state rights. The mean old abolitionists in the North were just way too... I'm sorry, I'm being really sarcastic. <laughs> Started off then, good. <laughs> um, I wrote it down very sarcastically. Um, so essentially, the abolitionists in the North were just way too aggressive. And the South was like, hey, like, these are our rights. We're not traitors. Secession is constitutional because the abolitionists are so aggressive and slavery is on its way out anyway, so we don't need to even fight a war about it. Number two, slavery was a good thing, actually. Uh, black people were naturally subservient to the all-knowing and all-powerful white race. Without slavery, Africans wouldn't survive. Ugh. That literally gave me heartburn reading it. Oh my <laughs> like, god. But it's it's one of the, the beliefs from the lost cause, do not endorse that whatsoever. Ew. Uh, yeah. Number three, the North had way too many resources and men, and that's why they won. It was more that the South was overwhelmed than actually lost the war. It's not their fault. They didn't have a chance to begin with, thus the lost cause. Uh, I, I think I'm going to keep my mouth shut on this one. Sure. Uh, number four, Confederate soldiers were honorable and good. They're essentially martyrs. Number five, Robert E. Lee, a Confederate general, was the most important Southern Christian soldier ever. Almost Jesus. And finally, number six, Southern women were basically saints, sacrificed more during the war than Northern women could ever even dream of. And this is the idea of the pure Southern chaste woman came from this idea as well. Oh my god. Yeah. Ah. I li- like I have like this weird like pain in like below my navel. <laughs> Where it's like, uh and it is important to talk about because these again were beliefs <sighs> at the time. These are beliefs that still unfortunately yeah. continue to this day. I'm gonna get a migraine from the eye roll. I think. Yeah, it's like, I I didn't really try very hard to keep the sarcasm out of my voice. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I applaud you for at least attempting it. It is what it is. Anyway, back in Beaufort. Also, so Beaufort is spelled B-E-A-U-F-O-R-T. There's also a town with the same spelling in North Carolina, that, but that's Beaufort. And it's... So it's Beaufort, North Carolina, and Beaufort, South Carolina. But they're both spelled the same way. I just thought that was (laughs) (laughs) Why not? It was just, I was like, how to pronounce this? Because I don't want to say it wrong. It's Beaufort. So for turning in the planter to the U.S. Oh, my gosh. Oh, okay. We're getting back to some good stuff. Okay. 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 uh, You're going to lose your shit when I tell you this. So for turning in the planter to the U.S. Navy, he received $1,500, which is today equivalent to about $45,600. Guess what he did with that money? He donated it? 
No, he bought the mansion of his former enslaver. <laughs> I just punched my headphones. <laughs> she just did a bunch of head punches. I hit my own head. <laughs> Good for him. Damn. It went up for auction during the war because taxes were not being paid on it. And he bought it. Oh, what a move. Oh, he's so petty. So petty. And what just an act of like reclaiming. Like, he was most likely born in that house. He was lived, raised in that house. But he was enslaved in that house. And then he comes back as a free fucking man and buys that house. This is my house, motherfucker. Lives out the rest of his days in that house. Ah! Oh, what a move. In April of 1864, Robert and Hannah, his wife, hosted the wedding of Lavinia Wilson, who was a woman who had escaped with them on the planter. And she married a soldier serving in the 33rd U.S. Colored Troops. The military governor attended this wedding as well. Wow. Yeah. So after he bought the mansion, his mother, Lydia, lived with him for the rest of her life. Oh, good. And I thought this was just another, like, it was a very kind move, but it was also a power move. Also, he allowed his former enslaver's wife live out the rest of her days there in the home as well. She was really old. What happened to the former enslaver? Like, what happened to him? I didn't. I couldn't find out what happened. I also didn't look very hard. Right. I wonder if he, like, died or something, because why would she be left behind without him? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But he did take her in and let her live out the rest of her life in the home as well, which I think was just, that's such a big person thing to do. Yeah. And it was very, very kind of him. And, you know, you never know what the relationship he had with her. Maybe she was very kind to him, and maybe the her husband was a very mean man and also mean to her as well. I mean, you don't really know the dynamic there either. Yeah. So she could have been just as much of a victim as him. Not, well, not just as much, but in, in her own sense. I I mean, I don't know the dynamic there. I'm just trying to think outside of the box there. And I, I honestly don't know what kind of man Henry McKee was. I don't know what kind of. Yeah. How kind he was, how mean he was. I have no idea. So I'm not going to say anything on that or say, like, things he did or didn't right, do. Right, right. I mean, right. it was, he was kind of a notable member of society during the Southern Civil War. So for all we know, he could have fought in the war. He could have been, like, a lieutenant or an officer. He could have just died of natural causes. Like, who really knows what happened? Yeah. Um. Um, again, I didn't really look at exactly. that. And I'm I not saying he did that. do all those things and he was a horrible person. Just thinking outside the box here. Yeah. Yeah. So around this time, he also purchased a house to turn into a school for African-American children. Oh, God. He just keeps on. He learned to read and write in nine months. Jesus. Yeah, he was dedicated. Robert was a highly respected member of his community, Mm -hmm. as we can tell, and by the military. And he became a community leader during the Reconstruction in South Carolina. 
Um, so I'm not going to go so much in his political careers. I've already covered it, but just more like locally what he did. So he opened up a store with a man named Richard Gleaves, and it was specifically for freedmen. He was a champion for public education, like I said, but not just for children, but for everyone. He wanted everyone that needed to be educated to be educated. Yeah. In Beaufort, formerly enslaved people were buying and building homes, and it became a beacon of success of the reconstruction efforts, specifically pertaining to education, politics, and land ownership, which is really awesome. That is awesome. According to... According to NPR, he was a brigadier general in the South Carolina militia. He started a school, published a newspaper, and founded a railroad. Just a little wow. bit. Um, in 1870, he helped develop a railroad in eight... Uh, sorry. In 1870, Robert helped develop a railroad, and all but one of the board members were black men. There was one, one white man, but I just thought that was really cool. Wow. Hannah, unfortunately, died in 1883. Hmm. In 1890, Smalls married Annie Wig. They had one son together, Robert William Smalls. Unfortunately, Annie died five years later. And then Robert Smalls died February 23rd, 1915 in Beaufort at the age of 75. Wow. That is not all. Oh, my God. <laughs> now we're going into his legacy. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, this is this is great. So, in South Carolina, May 13th is Robert Small's day, because that's the day he reached the Union. Yeah. He has several schools in the area named after him. Like, I saw a list. There are a lot of different schools named after him. (laughs) So, a ship in 2004 was named the U.S. Navy Major General Robert Small's, and it was the first Army ship to be named after a black man. Wow. The town of Beaufort lobbied for a national park to commemorate all of Robert Small's accomplishments during Reconstruction. In January of 2017, Barack Obama established the Reconstruction-era National Monument in Beaufort, South Carolina. And in 2019, it was renamed the Reconstruction-era National Historic Park, located near Robert's home and his burial site at the Tabernacle Baptist Church. Wow. Um, and his home, I think, is a it's a national monument monument and a museum i think cool there was a sh- yeah there was a ship that was originally named the uss chancellorsville and it was the name of a confederate victory and so the navy and it was named like 1989 the navy was starting to rename ships that had been named after confederate victories thank you <laughs> and in april 2023 it was renamed the uss robert smalls awesome and the last thing I have, the Charleston Galliard Center, it's a perform- performative art center in Charleston, South Carolina, has a new theater production called Finding Freedom, The Journey of Robert Smalls that explores not only the history of Robert, but his Gullah heritage and the culture of being Black in the South at this time. Its first performance was October 6, 2023, which is actually the day I learned about it. Oh, universe. Yeah. I know. That's it, but there's a new production going on, so if you guys are in the Charleston area, definitely give that a look-see. It's like a big musical production. Yeah. It seems really neat. Yeah. And that is a story of Robert Smalls, the most American of American heroes. What a great life he had. Honestly, if I did half the shit he did. I would feel very accomplished. (laughs) 
And he just kept doing stuff. Yeah. He was not going to stop. Can't stop, won't stop. No, he had he had shit to do and he did it. Yeah. Damn. I mean, it's just it's really amazing to to think about, to learn about. Like I well, like as I was researching, I just kept getting more and more pumped. I was like, "Fuck yeah! This is so awesome." <laughs> You're going to have so many sounds to edit out on my side cuz I just wouldn't stop wiggling in this leather chair every time you were telling a story. I was like, <laughs> just spazzing out, just spazzing like, <laughs> did he make it? <laughs> he does, and he lives a long life. Oh, uh, I, I, I knew it. Like when I learned that he had bought the mansion that his, oh, like God. that he grew up in, I literally was like punching. Y'all, y'all should have seen Emily's reaction. She literally was just punching everything. <laughs> I knew she was going to react. I was like, oh, I can't wait to see her reaction when I tell you this. I hit perfect. my own headphone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of glad I was wearing it because I definitely would have just punched myself in the side of the head. Oh, my God. Also, his house is beautiful yeah um i added a few pictures and i'll upload these to the instagram look at the pictures that i put up here at the map this is young robert smalls there's the mansion that he bought this next picture is the only picture i could find that is most likely hannah jones smalls yeah it's hard hard to find well davy crockett's Um, uh wife polly was like that too I i don't think there was one Mm-hmm. Really? It was really hard to get pictures done. Yeah. Um, the next one is a new, it's a clip from the newspaper. It has, Ooh, I there's only two that. known pictures of Robert Smalls. So on the left side is the younger picture of him. And on the right is the planter. And then this picture. That's this a big ass is, boat. Yeah. I don't know why I thought it would be a little smaller than that. It was a, a side wheel. Damn, you'd have to have and a I mean, lot of and, emus for that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was literally just about to say how it was fortified. <laughs> fortified by the emus. By emus. <laughs> oh, See, right here is a real tall and skinny emu. Yeah. <laughs> And the, the towers are just emus stacked on top of each other. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so tell me how it's fortified. I was just, like, it had, like, cannons on it. Oh, okay. Um, and it was stocked with ammunition. Which is also why it was a really big deal to give it over to the Union. Because it had a bunch of guns and bullets and shit. Bunch of pew-pews? Bunch of pew-pews. And then also, he looks very, like, distinguished. He is very distinguished. I was just about to say, this is a fancy man. Um, he is a fancy man. With his pocket watch and his bow tie. Oh, the bow tie. It's really the pocket watch that gets me. Mm-hmm. I love it. But, yeah, from what I could find, there's only those two pictures that exist of him, which are, is already a lot. Like... 
it was hard yeah. enough to find pictures of, you know, I'm going to say it like white people in power from this time. And he was yeah. a black man. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's sad. It, there were pictures. It was a lot of like sketches or mm-hmm. not really a lot of pictures taken of them, unfortunately, until later. Um, so, yeah, but he was a very fancy man. I think it's the last picture I have. Yeah. I couldn't find any of his second wife. It looks so. like the picture in the newspaper is the same picture as the one that's above it. It is. Because, again, there's only two pictures of him. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, honestly, in the the Drunk History episode, um, the actor they got to portray Robert Smalls looks, looks a lot like that first picture. It's really funny. Oh, really? Yeah. I love when they find so. people that actually look like the people. Yeah. He has, like, a very similar hairstyle. Um, and I think... He has at least, like, a little chin beard. I don't know if he has a full goatee. But I, I highly recommend the the Drunk History episode. It's really funny. It stops. It doesn't go into Robert Smalls' political career, but it does yeah. stop when he buys the mansion. And the guy who tells the story is incredibly drunk. And he's like, I love Robert Smalls. <laughs> I want to give him a hug. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I wanna because, sh- I, like, I want to shake his hand. I want to be yeah. like, yeah, handshake. Big handshake. Why well, I say you- it like I'm going to shake that guy's hand. <laughs> shake that hand. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this is what happens. So... It's, yeah, and it's so funny, like, we're not even batch recording today. This is, this is no, all this we're is doing the today. Yes. Um, who wants to hear mm-hmm. about my haunted house experience that we talked about last week? Y'all can't see it, but I'm raising my <laughs> hand right now. Me. I want to hear. So for those who did not hear, um, last week, our friend Corey uh, starred with us uh, in our final episode of October but I was, I've been spending the week with her in New Jersey, and she's been taking me to all these great places. I'm back home now, so she's not here with us. Um, but the day after we recorded our last episode, we she took me to the Eastern State Penitentiary Halloween Nights, and it was a lot of fun. Um, as we have previously established, I am a big scaredy cat. And the idea of going to not just one haunted house, but five different haunted houses within the Eastern State Penitentiary was terrifying. The penitentiary itself, it looms. And I realize that... Yeah, it is creepy looking. The walls, like just the the outer walls to keep the prisoners in are like a hundred feet tall at least. Oh my god. It's it's very overwhelming. And then when you go inside the cell blocks, the cell blocks themselves are like, probably not this long, but they're like, they seem like they're a half mile long. Like, mm-hmm. and there's no light on the inside. And so the, the runners of this event have made the haunted houses like within the cell blocks. And they did a really good job. Um, so the first three haunted houses, you know, I got some good scares, really, I mean, like I said, I'm a big scaredy cat, so they're like, ha ha, we will pick on that girl. They were like, 
the actors are like coming up behind me, like breathing in my ear, like really trying to mess with me. But the fourth one we went to, you guys, I have legitimately never been so scared in my life. Oh no. I thought I was going to die. I I was within seconds of just like laying on the ground and crying. Um, <laughs> it was a very well done haunted house. Just from the get go. Like Co- Corey and I and her boyfriend were walking down the the cell block and it was very foggy. The lighting was very appropriate and we see a silhouette of a woman and she is floating towards us. Excuse me. What? Floating. She no. is floating. There's no bob no. of her head. She is floating towards us. I literally, Corey's behind me. I start smacking her. Like, hold my hand. Hold my hand. <laughs> so her and her boyfriend are really into, like, costuming and practical effects. So they saw that she was on roller skates. And they're like, that's a really cool effect. I never saw no damn roller skates. I was just eyes ahead. And, like, of course, she was right behind my ear, like, like hissing and whispering creepy things into my ear. And then these two, like, ten feet tall dark boys just come walking out of the corner. And I start crying. And I don't stop for the rest of the haunted house. But I don't <laughs> want to just cry. And also, my adrenaline is really high. I laugh. So I am hysterically laughing and crying. As I go through this haunted house while screaming throughout the entire thing, Corey and her boyfriend like to half carry me through the thing because uh, I just I keep almost just sitting down and dying. Um, I literally when we had when we got out, I had to sit for a few minutes because um, I couldn't walk anymore. Like I <laughs> it was so bad. I when we exited, my knees were knocking and I just felt very weak. And I was like, y'all, I got to sit or I'm going to pass out. Very well done haunted house. And then the last one we went to, it was pretty state like standard until the very end. Um, I was, and I think I'd let my guard down because I was a few steps from the exit and someone jumped out and scared me. And I literally went to go lay down, lay down on the ground and die. And Corey <laughs> had to pick me up and carry me out of the haunted house. And I peed myself. Not a lot, but I did. I will admit it. And it got, it was to the point where the actor was like, oh no, like I need to help her too. <laughs> oh no, stay away from me, please. <laughs> I didn't even see, like, I think I blacked out. Uh, I just know I was, I was just going toward the ground. <laughs> I don't, the soul has left the body. Yep. Corey literally had to pick me up like under my shoulders and like drag me out of the haunted house. Cause I was just Thank going God to lay. She's tall. Thank God she's tall. Very brave and much better than me. Um, <laughs> but it was it was a lot of fun. And now I can, like, look back on myself and laugh at myself because, like, I was telling them, if I was one of those actors and I was scaring me, I would not be able to stop laughing. No, I, I wouldn't either. I am very easy to scare. I scare myself. Like, if I'm holding something and I drop it, the noise of it hitting the ground makes me jump. Like, I... Well, <laughs> I mean, you're not alone. Because remember, I was scared of my own shadow last week. So, I, I do that all the time. I will be driving down the road. And my brain will think that there's a monster on the side of the road. It's a bush. Yeah. Like, I... 
for someone who is really into the paranormal and stuff like that, I am a big scaredy cat as well. Except when it's just like I feel like it's a ghost thing. I don't care about the ghost thing. But if I feel like it's a cryptid of some form, get me the fuck out of there. I don't want to see it. I will die. Yeah. But I can just imagine you, like, cackling because adrenaline does the weirdest thing to you. It does. And every time we go off-roading, if I'm, like, (laughs) y'all, I I have videos of this from outside of the vehicle that is going up these big-ass rocks. And they're giving it hell. And you can hear Morgan over all the engines, over the tires, over everything, literally cackling like an insane person. Yes. I love Having the time of her life. And see, I'm having fun in those moments, but my adrenaline is high. It's the adrenaline. We could wreck at any time. I, I laugh on roller coasters. I... You know, and apparently I laugh when I'm really scared at haunted houses while also crying. Like, like it was to the point where, like, my stomach and, like, my chest hurt. Like, the amount I was, like, laughing and crying. Um, <laughs> it was a it's lot. So and if, if by some happenstance you were an actor listening to this at the Eastern State Penitentiary and you worked the nightmares haunted house great job because you literally scared me almost to death um at one point one of the big tall guys he he i saw one of them and i was like that's a guy he's going to come scare us and they're literally they're literally like 10 feet tall very tall they're on stilts they had a bunch of stuff going on and then the other one comes around the corner scares me to death i scream I jump back. I try to run away. Corey grabs me so I don't run away in the opposite direction. And then we have to go through a doorway. And it won't let me pass it. Every time I try to go to, around it, it steps in front of me. So I can't no, leave. Don't and block. That, I will kick you. That is yeah. when I start I start getting mad. And that's when I start crying. But I'm also terrified. But I also start laughing because I know it's just a guy and I also don't want to just cry, and I'm super, I'm terrible. Like, there's so many things going on in my head, and Corey's boyfriend had to come get me and, like, take me past it. Because it was a few times, and it was at that point I was just going to sit down. I was like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to cry, because <laughs> I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so, anyway, that was my experience at the Eastern State Penitentiary Haunted Halloween Nights event. It was a lot of fun. I'm so jealous. <laughs> we'll go next time and me and you okay. will be will be the scaredy cats like clutching each other going yeah. through the haunted house there was one weird time that like for some reason my defense mechanism in this haunted like trail was to just be sarcastic as hell and i think it's because they like talked a lot for some mm-hmm. reason it was they were your- like asking creepy questions and i was just responding like that was your fight response <laughs> yeah that was the only fight response i have is just be a smart ass they were like do you want to come to my cabin in the woods and i was like no thanks i have one <laughs> that's so funny i actually when i was going through my hysterical stage i did churn out a sarcastic comment 
And I think it was like a survival mechanism. So we went to this one through this one room and there was like this very creepy dentist with like a dentist chair Mm. and tools. And he had like a power drill and he was like at us. And like, I literally am like this, like my hands are on my face and Corey literally has me by the shoulders and is just guiding me through everything. And I'm, I think I, I may have a hand on her boyfriend's like hoodie as they guide me through it. So I, I don't just sit down and die in this haunted house. And he's like, do you want some dental work? And I was like, no, thanks. I have a really good dentist. It's my stepdad. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't say anything after that. So. talking about how he doesn't like they won't let you buy mm-hmm. in that haunted trail if i went left you know that guy would follow and and he wouldn't let me buy and he separated me from lou and i didn't like that so i started dancing <laughs> and i got him to dance with me that's amazing i, <laughs> and I like that. danced my way around <laughs> that's that's really great <laughs> oh Woo. All right, so you guys can find us uh, on Facebook. We have um, ill-equipped history Facebook group that you can find. We have an Instagram, ill-equipped at ill-equipped history. We have a TikTok, just mm-hmm. ill-equipped dot histo. I think uh, uh, my phone is what it is dead again because i'm a lazy piece of shit um i think it's like it should just be like ill-equipped history just look up ill-equipped history you'll find us yeah yeah you'll find us yeah and you're missing one for and i i was getting to it okay we good. have a patreon Woo! please please um if you feel so inclined sign up to be a patron of ours we are getting some fun things together but uh, the first tier, you get a, they get stickers, right? Yeah. So we agreed on, you get yeah. a sticker and a shout out. And for at the next tier, you get all of that plus access to bonus episodes once a month. Yes. And it's going to be really exciting that, let me check the calendar. If you are a page patron, that will release tomorrow. Tomorrow, first Friday of every month. So Yes, first Friday. If you're listening to this on the day that it is released, it will be tomorrow that the second bonus episode will go out. Yes, and the first Patreon-exclusive bonus episode, because the first one is a freebie for everyone. Yes. Yes. Um, It's going to be a fun little episode. And that's it, right? We don't have anything else yet. I think you can also just buy the stickers, right? Yes, you can just buy the stickers. Yeah, if you go to our social media, we have stuff. Uh, We ship to the U.S. for free. If you're outside of the U.S. and you want one, um, just message us. We'll figure something out. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're still new at this. We don't know how things work. We're winging it. (laughs) We're we're just winging it. But we're not, you know, we're not winging. Boats? We're not winging boats. (laughs) (laughs) I listened to that episode today. Um because and it's just as funny the like fourth time i've heard it <laughs> you know who also did not wing boats 
Robert fucking Smalls. You're right. He knew. You're right. He knew his shit when it came to boats. You know what? I bet. I bet he could have sailed the Vasa all the way. One hundred percent. He would have fucking known to keep the cannon ports closed, or maybe had the balls to just tell the king that this ship ain't gonna work. No, he he would have been like, "Hey, we need we need to fix some things here." Yeah, hey bud, this ain't gonna work. Sorry. Literally, a ship was shot almost a hundred times, and he got it away before it sank. After the captain was like, <laughs> "Fuck y'all, I'm hiding." <laughs> no, that was a different boat. Oh shit, that was two different boats. It was two different boats. Because the one you're talking about was the planter. Ah, the one yeah. that was shot ninety almost a hundred times was the Kao Cook. That's right. That's right. I'm getting my boats mixed up. There's a lot of boats. So many boats. <laughs> We like boats. Right. We do. We both grew up on boats. 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 All right. We're going to go now. Okay. Hey, <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>